This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Welcome once again, everybody. I'm your host, Josh Wharton. On the Beaver Tales Podcast, I chat with former Oregon State student-athletes every week to recap their OSU career and discuss what they're passionate about these days, what they've gotten into ever since their Oregon State career. When I started covering the Oregon State men's basketball program in 2013, Angus Brandt was in his fifth and final year playing center for OSU. He played the final five seasons of the Craig Robinson era. Angus is a 6'10 center from Sydney, Australia, played from 2009 to 2014. He missed one year due to an ACL tear, but came back to finish his career playing 125 games for OSU. That's top 10 in program history. One of those seasons, he shot 49% from three-point range to lead the team. Now, since his career at Oregon State, he's gone back to Australia. In fact, when I had Jarmal Reed on this podcast, another former men's basketball player who has continued his professional career in Australia, he said, oh, Angus Brandt's been doing really well. He's been in the top league. He's moved around a lot of places, and indeed he has. Angus Brandt Went back to his hometown team, went to the Sydney Kings initially. He ended up winning two NBL championships in his career in Australia. He's also played in Lithuania, New Zealand, Italy. He also played in Wuhan, China right before the outbreak of the coronavirus. So we talk about that, then going to Italy, another place with some interesting headlines in the COVID pandemic era. But uh, he's had a long career. He recently signed with a team in Japan, and he's kind of in a waiting phase before he can go over to play and continue his professional career in a new country. So that's where Angus Brandt is at. We talk a little bit about his Oregon State career and Craig Robinson towards the end of the conversation. We start more with his current playing career, his relationship with a fellow Oregon State student athlete. He started dating Megan Miller, a women's soccer player at OSU, when they were both in Corvallis. And they've been together ever since, pretty much traveling all over the world together following Angus's basketball career. Real quick, if you do have an opportunity to donate at all, I don't do sponsors on this podcast. I just give free exposure to charities. If you can look up Convoy of Hope, I'll put their website in the description. They do some great disaster relief work and a worthy charity of some notoriety. So that's Convoy of Hope. All right, let's get to this conversation with former Oregon State men's basketball player Angus Brandt, who joins me from Australia on this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. Well, the first thing, Angus, and thanks again for joining me, by the way, in the Beaver Tales podcast, the big question that I've got to ask right at the beginning, on your Wikipedia page, I don't know how often you go and, and Google yourself, but at, at the bottom, it says, some sources list Angus Brandt's birthday as October 26th, 1989. Other sources state October 28th, 1989. So I need you to, to settle the controversy. So this is, there's actually kind of a funny story behind that. But the, my birthday is October 26th, 1989. That is my birthday. But for some reason, and I think it actually stems from when I was at Oregon State, my old SID, Sean Scheffler, he's watching. This is his fault. He listed my birthday at one point or another as the 28th. And for some reason, it happened to coincide with when whoever made that Wikipedia page. And so they put the 28th of uh, October. And then forever, you know, whenever my birthday got brought up in articles or with teams, they'd always put the 28th because, of course, they'd look up and see the Wikipedia page. So... In the end, someone said, like, you know, you can just go on Wikipedia and change it yourself, right? I was like, oh, can you? 
And I said, yeah, yeah, it's a public, you can edit it. You know, anyone can edit, edit it. So I'm like, oh, that's sweet. So I went in there, figured out how to do it, changed it to the 26th. And then I uh, thought, all right, problem solved. Anyway, uh, this is when I was playing in Perth and I'm on a massage table and I'm on my phone. And I just checked a couple of days later because I was telling some guys on my team this story and it had been changed back to the 28th. And I was like, what the hell is going on? So I went in there, changed it back to the 26th. Sure enough, about an hour later, it got changed back to the 28th. And this went back and forth, maybe three or four times. And then eventually, I didn't know you could do this, but like the people who edit stuff, they can write messages to the other editors that you can only see in the editing section. And uh, so I went in there to change it again. And this person had written this very direct, like, stop changing the date. It's not cool to mess with like, the information and the facts on pages. And I was like, listen, man. I think I would know when my birthday is. Stop changing it. Like my birthday is the 26th. And then after that, it got left as the 26th. But then that like addendum or that like little piece at the bottom got added. Like some sources say this, some sources say that. But I'll say for the record now, it's the 26th and it has been for 30 years. I did, I did not expect that funny of a story. So did he finally back? I mean, did the guy believe you when you said, hey, I'm Angus Brand? Well, he just left it as a 26, but then put that little, yeah, like little paragraph, like contested date or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. But it, it worked in the end because then teams since then have never gotten my birthday wrong or or, you know, it hasn't been listed incorrectly. I think that what the best example or the best thing to do is that Sean should just send you a birthday present every October 28th and that'll make up for it. There yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's a good deal. Sean, I'll be in Japan. I'll send you my address. <laughs> send me some diet sprites. You'll, you'll you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of going to Japan and, and basketball and you're still making a career for it, which is, which is awesome to see. You signed, I think just last month is when you officially signed with a team in Japan, the Shiga Lake Stars, and I think it's based in Otsu. Uh, what's the latest on that season, what you know at this time and, and where you're at at the moment? Yeah, so signed uh, for the Shiga Lake Stars yeah, about a month ago now. So it was a long off season, went well into August, which is quite unusual for free agencies. Usually they're, you know, you know, usually you're flying out, you know, mid-August to go join your team. And, you know, I hadn't even signed by the same time that I was flying to Italy last year. So, but uh, yeah, I was very excited to get over there. But at the moment, just navigating, crossing borders and, and getting visas and, you know, working through the, the chaos that is COVID-19. So... It's obviously presenting a few more issues than would normally be the case. So, um, yeah, tried to, uh, I guess, another sort of funny story that just recently happened was, so last week I finished working out and I got a text from one of the, the interpreter on the on Chiga and he sent me two screenshots of uh, the conversation he's having with the, the agent in, in uh, one of the agents of the American guys and it's basically saying, like, look, the borders are closed between America and Japan. We can't get visa applications. Looks like like we don't know when we can get there. And also like, okay, well, Australia's not America, so I shouldn't have a problem. He goes, no, no, Australia's on this list as well. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. So I have uh, uh, my partner, Megan. She had her call the consulate multiple times to find out and ask them a bunch of questions. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, the borders are closed. They were not taking those applications at the moment. So we're, okay, this is another issue. Anyway, so I got home from training. And I just said, look, why don't we just see if we can make an application or sorry, make an appointment to, to go talk to them and see if they'll just take our application. And at the very least, I'll just have it when the borders open. 
all right, that's a good idea. So we made an appointment, didn't get cancelled, and we thought, you know, this is going in the right direction because the American guys can't even make appointments to get in and see anyone. Anyway, so we went in there on Tuesday and uh, went up to the window, started speaking to the lady, gave her our forms, and without, she didn't look at the computer screen, she didn't look at the list or anything. She just goes, didn't you call me? Or didn't you call us the other day? And we're like, oh, uh, yeah. And they're like, yeah, like we told you on the phone, the borders are closed and we're not taking these applications at the moment. And we're just like, oh, well, yeah, we just thought we'd see how we go. We're like, oh my God, I don't know how this lady knows that we called, like in a whole consulate office, you know, of uh, Japan and Australia. We just talked to this lady and she's pegged us straight from the beginning. She goes, yeah, you called us. And like, okay. <laughs> anyway, the uh, meeting lasted about 30 seconds and yeah, we, <laughs> we walked out the door with our tail between our legs and basically got told to wait till the borders open. So uh, fingers crossed that happens soon, but um, that's basically where, where I'm at at the moment. So just training and waiting for that to, to happen. Uh, that was going to be my next question is how in the world did she know? But I guess that's still a bit of a mystery, but impressive. It was crazy. Honestly, we were so stunned. She just said, you know, like of all the people to talk to, and she just pegged it straight away. And we were, we were just shocked. And <laughs> I mean, she was really nice about it and basically just said, look, you know, like we said on the phone, <laughs> The borders are closed and we're not taking applications, which said, look, when they do, I can come back and it shouldn't be a problem. Since you brought up Megan and, and you know, you both had your student athlete careers at Oregon State. What's it been like to to share, um, you know, however many years it's been? I'm not sure if she, if she's been in Australia or traveled around with you all the stops or what that's been like. But um, how's that been the last few years kind of traveling the world? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, we actually just celebrated our ninth anniversary. So we started dating in college in Corvallis. And somehow after college, I convinced her to move out to Australia to be with me. And yeah, she, we've basically been traveling together and staying in the same cities together ever since. Um, so yeah, it's been really great. She, uh, she's been a, a massive uh, rock for me and, you know, helped me through my career and being, you know, in, in such a career and well, since I left Corvallis and my career has obviously taken me to Sydney to Perth, New Zealand, played in China for a brief stint, gone to Japan, um, went to Italy, played in Lithuania for a little bit. And, you know, so in a very sort of inconsistent, up to, you know, topsy-turvy sort of life, Meg's really been the, the constant in all of it and stayed by my side throughout it all and provided, you know, you know guidance and, you know, counsel and comfort and, you know, uh you know everything that you get with with being in a you know fantastic loving relationship and you know she supported me to no end for my career and made a lot of sacrifices herself um you know at, we always say you know i always you know sing her praises when people ask like how we met and we talk about both playing collegiate uh, sports and i always say she was by far the better collegiate athlete and it's, it's definitely true you know she was you know top five in pac 12 pac or Pac-12 back then in, uh, you know, goals scored and goals assisted. And she, you know, she's on All-American watch list. So she was an absolute stud as a soccer player. So you probably should be talking to her right now, not me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. so I guess the point I'm making is, you know, she had a soccer career that she could have pursued professionally and, and ultimately she chose to, to put our relationship above her own uh, professional career as a soccer player. Wow. Okay, maybe I'll get her on the next episode then. Let's do that and we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, in fact, I haven't even gotten a, a woman's soccer player on the pod. I've been reaching out and, and have struck out so far. So maybe maybe she'll be the first if she's interested. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure she'd do it. I'll, I'll tooth her arm and do it. She just got back from walking the dog, so I'll tell her. <laughs> okay, sounds great. Uh, the, the China stint, I mean, I, there's a lot of different spots that we can talk about. Like you said, Lithuania, Italy, China. Um, was the spot that you were playing in China, was that in Wuhan? Yeah, so I was playing for Wuhan, the Wuhan Phoenix. Um, so, yeah, I've uh, had some friends jab me and joke around that I'm patient zero. <laughs> so, yeah, I was in Wuhan and they obviously got hit, you know, first. And then I went to Italy and they were sort of the first Western country to get hit. Yeah, but yeah, I was in Wuhan for, I think it was about six or seven weeks in the end. It was, I came in after the, so I finished playing the NBL season. And then in the summer between that ending and my next gig, I, uh, yeah, I went and played in China for six weeks and finished their season for them. Was that late 2019 or what month was it that you came back from Wuhan? Uh, yeah, I got out, I left there July 2019. So a couple of months before uh, the outbreak, obviously. And uh, when I was there, there was no problems. It was life as normal. Yeah. Uh, that is that is a funny story and then yeah, going to Italy which got a lot of headlines early on in this whole process but hey uh, and you haven't tested positive or anything right or you maintained uh, I didn't test positive so I was just south of um so the Lombardy region was the region that was in the headlines for Italy and I was just south of there in Tuscany so you know when that was all gonna, you know when the north was really affected they closed borders and the league was suspended and then I was basically in my apartment in the towns in Pistoia, quite a small town, but I was in, uh, in my apartment for about three weeks uh, on my own because when Italy shut down the country, Meg and I decided just that, you know, it'd probably be best if she flew home to the States and, and went and saw her family because that was our plan after the season ended anyway. We were going to go to Washington and see her family. So at the time, America was, was in a pretty good spot. And so we said, look, you go there. Um, we expected the league to get cancer within, you know, a week or two. And so I said, look, I'll be right behind you. And so she left. And then, yeah, it ended up taking about three weeks for them to actually cancel the league. And then in that time, America had gone from good to very bad. So being an Australian citizen and resident, I, you know, I don't have American citizenship or any health benefits or coverage there. So in the end, it was kind of wise for me to, to just return to Australia. And so I left Italy, came back home, did our quarantine here in, in a hotel, and then I've been up at my parents' house ever since. And then, so Meg stayed at home for in, in the end about three months and then came out to Australia about three months ago now as well. So yeah, we had a bit of long distance there because of COVID, but it was, it was pretty wild. The most fun part that, you know, to touch on in your career, and this started basically at the beginning of your professional career, but playing in the NBL, being the top league in Australia, and since you came from Sydney and getting to play for the Sydney Kings and bouncing around the NBL, how crazy was that to to realize I get to play in the league that I'm guessing you grew up watching a lot and had a lot of, you know, players that you were fans of and that sort of thing. What was that like to, to even win championships in the NBL too? Yeah, it was great. Um, when I came back from college, the two teams that really recruited me hard were Sydney, obviously, but also Melbourne. And it came down to those two teams. And I had really good offers from both. Uh, but ultimately, I chose Sydney because I'd been away from home 
since I was about 18. Uh, you know, I spent an extra year in college because I hurt my knee. So by then I was like, you know, it'd be nice to spend some time at home. And I've got this great opportunity to play for the Sydney Kings who, yeah, I, you know, supported growing up and, uh, you know, to be back home and see my family a lot more and see some friends I, you know, hadn't been in touch with as much. So it was a great opportunity. So I played there for two years and then uh, we weren't the most successful team, unfortunately, when I was at the Kings. And then after my second year, uh, ultimately made the decision to part ways and, and then, uh, yeah, went to Lithuania for three months and then in the off season of that in between my second and third year, but then uh, got picked up by the Perth Wildcats and those three years there were an were unbelievable experience and, yeah, won two championships and, you know, got to play for some, uh, under some great coaches, you know, in particular Matt Nielsen, who's one of the best bigs that's played for Australia and he was an idol of mine growing up because he's from the same area as me, so... For him to be, he was sort of my mentor in Perth and worked a lot on my game with me. And, um, you know, I owe him a lot in terms of the leaps and bounds that happened in my career and my skills uh, in the three years that I was at Perth. It was pretty awesome to see your, your growth in the NBL and to get a Rookie of the Year 2015, an award that was uh, captured by Joe Ingles eight years before you and then most recently Lamella Ball so you've got some fun company there in rookie of the year NBL style yeah it's um yeah it was definitely an honor to win that award um, I don't know if it was <laughs> purely out of skill or if there was just uh, not many other candidates but no it's definitely an honor and yeah there's it puts me in some good company like Ingles and Lamello and other guys that came before who won that award who do you think is the best player that you have played with or against uh, sometimes I mean, you have a lot of stops a lot of different countries areas so there may be too many to think of but is there one that jumps out of oh that was the best guy oh I don't, I, it's hard for me to say the best like just one guy complete best player but i think I've, I've been asked this a lot and i have to say i'd say the best defensive player would be damien martin at the perth wildcats he was just unbelievable the way he saw defense the thing about Damo is they've actually just he just retired and they renamed the the NBL Defensive Player of the Year award after him. So that gives you an idea because he won it about seven times. And then I was fortunate enough to play Ben Simmons when he was in college. When he was at LSU, they traveled to Australia and played uh, played the Sydney Kings in an exhibition game. So I got to play against him, which was fun. Yeah, and then played against a bunch of a bunch of guys that are now in the NBA when I was at Oregon State as well. As for your own playing career and growth I remember watching you at Oregon State it was, I started you know covering the basketball team for the barometer and the radio station your last year really the 2013-2014 season um, so I remember you know your style at Oregon State since you left OSU how would you say you've changed as a player how you score how you defend how good your skills are comparatively uh, when I was at Oregon State, I, I was much more of a shooter than I am now. So I was, you know, we played the Princeton offense. So, I was, you know, that center comes down and, you know, have the ball in your hands. And uh, in those offenses, the, the center does shoot a lot. And then after coming out of college, came to Australia. And the Australian style is sort of still that pick and roll, put heat on the rim, and especially the big rolling hard to the rim. You know, a lot of focus on post play too. So I'd say my shooting is not as good as it was in college, for sure. And then, but I would say my post game, I guess my IQ, my IQ as a basketball player is light and day better for starters. But then 
my skills as a big man in terms of back to the basket, what you do on screens, how you move off the ball is, again, light and day better. You know, I, I, and then I think just the way I see the game has improved just with, you know, I think it's just with reps, you know, thousands of hours of practice and, you know, now hundreds of games as a professional, uh, you improve. But uh, my skill set definitely has changed just from uh, adapting to the pro game as well. You know, you get onto a pro team and you're playing with guys who lights out shooters, point guards, shooting guards, <laughs> small forwards. So, you know, at, at the end of the end of the day, you're playing on teams where the big isn't the one they want shooting threes or so, you know, you accept your role and you, you play to that. You play your role. And uh, for me, my role wasn't shooting threes for, you know, pretty much the whole time I was in the NBL. So uh, that skill definitely uh, suffered because of it. But um, other areas of my game definitely improved as a result. When you think of how your basketball IQ is so much better, what's the thing in your mind where that it kind of taught you, oh, man, I really do understand, understand the game better. I'm seeing it faster. What, what's the thing that made you kind of notice that? Uh, I think it's just, you know, if you play, as you start playing longer and longer, you start seeing the same things over and over. So there's only really so many plays and so many actions and sort of sequences that you can have on a basketball floor. So, you know, as you start playing for longer and longer, you start recognizing the action quicker you know, and um, means you can get into positions defensively faster. You can get into the right spot, you know, offensively. You can look at a situation and just sort of almost, you almost start predicting like what's going to happen before it does. And, um, you know, Nate Pomeray, my coach, assistant coach when I was at Oregon State, you know, he used to talk about the game slowing down. You know, the, the longer you play, the game gets slower. Um, and that's not in terms of, you know, the guy's getting slower as I get older. It's more, it was more just, I think, from a mental aspect of the game, as you start understanding it better and you start playing enough, you just, the game does slow down and you start seeing things before they happen and you get better at predicting what's going to happen. A quick interruption on this episode to let you know about a special project I think you'll enjoy, the Beaver Tales documentaries, including exclusive audio interviews, narration, and retelling what made the 2018 Beaver baseball postseason so special. Every single game, Oregon State would play in Omaha. Two or three really weird things that maybe I'd never seen before would always happen. When he hit the home run, out of my coaching career, that's without a doubt the most exciting thing I've ever been a part of. This audio documentary series will come out in a few months. To subscribe, there's a link in this episode's description. Check out the website and put your email down there so you can be one of the first people to listen to the Beaver Tales documentary. All right, back to this episode. Speaking of Oregon State, some of the just the most fun characters in Oregon State basketball were on the same team. And there are some really funny guys. Olaf Shaftenar, Jarmal Reed can make you laugh for days. Langston Morris Walker, Daniel Gomez is the nicest guy you ever meet. Um, and I've had a number of go those guys in the, on the podcast, uh, Daniel and Langston and, and Jarmal, for example. What's your best Daniel Gomez story, if you can think of one? I don't know if it's the best, but I can tell you the first time I met Daniel Gomez. When I was a freshman, Daniel was still at Seeds, which is the Senegalese Academy. And he was playing with the Senegalese national team. And because of uh, their relationship with Nate Pomeday, they would come to Corvallis and they would do their training camps at Oregon State in the summers. So obviously we would get there in the summers for training. So we would play pickup with them in the rec, uh, the rec center there. And so we go and play pickup this one day 
and Daniel Gomez walks in and he's Daniel Gomez as a freshman, not senior Gomez with, you know, mammoth tree trunk arms and the, the Adonis body he had by the time he left uh, Corvallis. He's just, you know, really skinny, but super athletic. And um, I remember two things from that day. The first was that he dunked on Kevin McShane, maybe the worst poster I've ever seen or the best poster I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, for one thing, so, wow. <laughs> I'm sure if anyone watches that, he's gonna hate me for bringing that up. But uh, and the other one was me and Gomez were going absolutely at each other. We were going at each other, and he was getting angry, and I was getting angry. And uh, in the end, though, we I really loved Gomez because of his competitiveness. But at the end of the day, as you know, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Uh, you walk off the floor, and he's got a big smile. He you call him at three in the morning, he's gonna answer. You call him, do whatever you want, you know do whatever you ask. Daniel Gomes is one of the guys I love the most from college. And, but the other thing that happened that day was me and Gomes both went for a, a loose ball and he uh, gave me the worst Charlie horse in my quad I've ever had in my life. I uh, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't bend my knee for a week after, after he hit me. So that was a, that's a, that's the day that stands out for me with Dan Gomes. Usually he's the one getting the injury. So this is the one time where he can dole yeah. one out. So he deserves it, you know? <laughs> Well, yeah, and unfortunately, that's the other thing about Gomes is uh, you think of the, all the uh, misfortune he had with injuries throughout his career. Right. Those are some, some fun memories. So there's, there's my plug for people listening to your podcast. Go back and listen to Daniel's also because he was one of the most fun conversations yeah. I've had on this podcast. And just, a, just a great guy. A um, couple last things for you, some, an Oregon State memory or two, and then we'll close with uh, some uh, kind of a broader question. I'll put put you on the spot. Hopefully this is, I don't know about an easy question to answer, but, but I don't know, I'll throw it out there. Uh, you play basically the last five years of the Craig Robinson era. I mean, obviously one of those years you didn't really play other than a couple games with a knee injury, but you were there for the last five years of his tenure. What's your, I don't know, lasting memories or opinion of the, the one college coach you had? Uh, first and foremost, I loved Coach Rob. He was a great guy. He had all all players' best interests at heart uh, throughout my whole career, almost to a fault, I believe. You know, I think there was other coaches out there that would have dismissed players from the team. I won't go into detail about, you know, different things that happen, but, you know, there, there, as happens in teams and in college, like things happen and guys get dismissed from teams on other colleges all the time. But... The whole time I was there, I don't think Coach Rob kicked one player off the team. So that's what I mean almost to a fault. So, and then the reason he didn't do that was because he understood the power that being on a basketball team in college on scholarship had for not only the four years or five years that guys were in college, but for their whole life. So he was very reluctant to dismiss guys from the team because he, he was acutely aware of the ramifications that that could have on those people's personal lives. From a basketball standpoint, I think uh, we always played a very exciting brand of basketball. You know, we were always running gun, scoring, dunking. From an offensive side of things, we were, you know, probably a great team to watch. Uh, I think looking back, though, I can imagine we were probably also pretty frustrating to watch um, because as good as we were on offense, we probably were equally as bad on defense. Um, you know, which... You know, I think that that's the one thing I've sort of learned as a pro is the, you know, the old cliche rings true, the defense wins championships. And, you know, it's, it's very hard to win championships and conference tournaments and titles when you're just trying to simply outscore the other team. 
um, it's a very that method doesn't have lasting success I've found so looking back I you know that's probably the one thing I wish we were better at as a team was uh, was defense and I don't think we had any individually bad defensive guys I think we actually had some really good individually defensive guys so it was just our defensive concepts as a team were probably our weakest point and unfortunately I think it cost us a lot of games when you know you look back and you know I seem to remember us losing games by a lot of single digits and that's pretty frustrating as a player when you when you're consistently losing by single digits because it's um you know means you're in the game you're equally as talented but it comes down to those intangibles and the and the small differences like second rotations third rotations um being in the right spot at the right time basically to kind of wrap things up and tell your story a little bit in a more broad way since you've had a pretty long professional career lasted a lot of different countries to go from australia to lithuania to china to italy now japan coming up um what would you say is something that you've learned we talked a lot about basketball what about you know broader than that how you've matured as a person something you realize about life that'll that'll help you know carry you through whenever basketball ends whenever that may be um what's an area of growth that you've experienced um away from basketball yeah i mean good question i think uh you know i think i compare myself in college to as a player and as a leader on a team and how to now i think you know First, I guess, in, for myself, you know, I do a, a much better job now of looking after my body than I did in college. Um, you know, and, I, and the knee injury was a big wake-up call for me. Like, I mean, the things I do now, I would just, you know, like I stretch almost every day. I roll out. You know, I, I do all the small things like activation and you name it. You know, those are things that have really become almost every day and integral part of my uh, process in terms of become, being a basketball player and in proving that longevity in my career. And those are things that, you know, I think I just took youth for granted when I was in college and didn't do a good enough job of those things. And whether or not my knee was a result of that, I, you know, I don't know. It may be, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest thing for me from that standpoint in terms of just looking after myself and the way I approach basketball as a career now. As a leader, I think I, in college, I think I was very... I didn't have a good enough job. I didn't have a good enough understanding of how people have different processes to be ready for a game. So I think I was very like almost set in my ways and I almost expected everyone else to be the same. And, you know, I was the captain on, you know, I think for three years. And so, and in that time, I was like sort of like lead by example a little bit. And I was always trying to be a hard worker and I kind of expected everyone to be the same and didn't really understand that guys have different processes to get ready for games. So I think that's one way that I've definitely matured is getting a better understanding of how different people have different ways of going about things. And, you know, as long as we're all working towards the same goal and guys aren't distracting one another and you're not, the way you do something isn't hindering how this guy prepares for a game, then it shouldn't be a problem. So I say that's one thing I've definitely learned and matured as a leader uh, as I become a pro. And then, you know, just outside of life, I, you know, I think uh, learning to, to take time away from basketball and give myself break, the breaks I need. And, you know, I think the mental aspect of, of sport is something that I'm paying more attention to now as I get older. Probably the three biggest things, I'd say. That's some, that's some good answers. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more lessons the rest of your career and after that. So 
Um, this has been great. A lot of fun memories, Oregon State and pro career. Best of luck um, getting to Japan if the, the borders eventually open. And yeah. um, if Megan wants to come on, then, then let's do uh, uh, another episode with her and we can, we can chat too. That'll be fun. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll twist Meg's arm to come on your podcast as well. She can talk about um, her glory days at Beaver Soccer going on Sweet 16 and her carving up everyone under the sun. Is, is she in the room right now? Can she hear you right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm looking at her right now. She's laughing at me. And like, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> well, we'll we'll set a time later. No no pressure for her. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Angus. It was, a, it was a blast to catch up. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. My thanks to Angus Brandt for coming on. And yeah, I hope I can get Megan on as well if she's willing to to chat and get my first woman soccer player on the podcast. Hey, again, if you've got a chance to donate and check out Convoy of Hope, they're my featured charity for this episode. And stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate and subscribe this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to. Text a few friends about it and look forward to another episode just a few days from now. Keep it rolling on the Beaver Tales podcast. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Until next time, good night, everybody, and go Beavs.